Hello, and welcome to On Life with Jamie Sinclair. These episodes are coming at you somewhat irregularly these days, but I've recently had the opportunity to sit down actually for two different conversations with different friends, and I'm going to bring one of them to you today. This is with my friend and brother-in-law, Ben Hall. He is a brilliant conversationalist, and we take some time and just plumb questions related to kind of legal theory at some level. I don't know if we ever use that term. Uh, but we talked through a little bit of my recent law school experience. Ben also has a lot of interest in these topics and just kind of, uh, it's a conversation and we followed it where it went. In some ways, we set ourselves up for a part two that maybe we, we will record at some point. And when we do that, we will try to have slightly better audio. There's a bit of a room mic, like reverby vibe, but uh, it's pretty, it should be pretty easy to follow. Hopefully you enjoy. God bless. I love the fact, I love the fact that the last time we were just talking like a few days ago, we almost broke into this conversation and yes. we both were like, no, 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 no. Guess the interesting it. thing about that, I don't know, just to save it for this moment. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, coming on. This is awesome. Thank you for having me, Jamie and, Sinclair. And we didn't discuss already. Do you want to go by your given name? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. No, I, well, I'm, thanks, you know, Ben. It's good to have you. Sweet. It's you good know, to be on your podcast. I do think sometimes. So I got super online early. So by the late 90s, I had a blog. I bought jamiesinclair.com when I was in high school. You know, for a little while, I was trying to be like, you know, top page of Google if you search Jamie Sinclair. Mm -hmm. And I actually was for a while. Then I was like, wait, maybe I don't want this. <laughs> and now I'm in between. But like, I feel like the cat's out of the bag. Yes. And so I am like... For people who aren't super online and already, like, my they identity have is everywhere, I'm like, maybe like when lay low. Like, like, as a child is born, you're like, hey, maybe you have a chance right. <laughs> at this thing. Well, it's kind of like, so back in the day, I was like, immediately on Gmail, jamiesinclair at gmail.com, and internet, I was like, everybody should do this. It was a, the internet was a, was a different thing. It then. was like a different thing, and now I'm kind of like, A... I don't recommend Gmail. B, maybe don't have your first and last name. Like, mm -hmm. maybe right. use a pseudonym. I, I don't know. It's Jamie Leroy Sinclair and then your 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 social security number at gmail.com. <laughs> my Twitter handle is still Jamie Leroy Sinclair. Yeah. And so, like, I have occasionally. Benjamin Hall has my Twitter. Yeah. yeah, I'll, I'll occasionally reply to, like, random people. And I'm like, I'm giving them my full name. It just feels weird. But if but... they wanted it, they could get it. That's the thing. The other day, I actually tried, like, I tried to articulate the, something I was feeling. Which was this this memory of what the internet felt like in like two thousand five and six, like Zenga one days where Boom. you know Did, it was like um, I feel like in oh five I was even pre Zenga maybe it's pre oh eight or, or post Zenga sorry yeah. Zenga was like when I was in high school maybe you were still on Zenga in two thousand five I was Zenga was, was still like two thousand two like till the end <laughs> bitter end the bitter end yes so, like they kicked us out but no I. I don't know that feeling of. Remember when was it? Was it Peter Molinero who built the pirate pirates? Yeah, like social media pirate themed social media yes, site. R R something. R. Oh, that was really oh, fun. Go I hope Pete. you listen to this. Yes, <laughs> and you had like you could earn coins, and then like somebody hacked it, and it, I think I think I don't remember it being hacked. Or maybe there were just bugs. I didn't use it regularly. Anyway, it was was not, was not Pirate Bay. It was fun though. Like it was I don't know. It was like running into a friend at a coffee shop. That kind of feeling, yeah, where you're talking and it's it's engaging, and there were there was no monetization, uh, there were, like there was no need to. There was also like a an odd 
Yeah. Lack of like hostility and crazies. Because I, I think of the old internet as full of crazy people, but it was like somehow chill. And like my, my usage of the internet in the late 90s was debating people in AOL and Messenger chat rooms. But it was a lot of, it was fairly good natured and things really went downhill. Do you know what happened? <laughs> Not trying to blame the boomers for everything, but it was when the boomers started dominating Facebook. <laughs> no. Facebook, like, nose mm. dove, nose dived. Nose divin. It's <laughs> an obscure uh, Do you want know, you know a slightly related and not what we're actually planning this on talking so about? so not the topic, but, but yes. Email. I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. Also, co.mx people right here. Oh, what's up? .mx. Yeah, you have a .mx? You, Bring it yeah, on. We have the same... We have the same uh, Top-level domain. Well, you know, we have the same... Uh, what's it called? Same format, email. Oh, okay. Nice. Literally. You have hold.mx? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the but but email. So fifteen or twenty years ago, I frequently was writing multiple thousands of words in an email. I was writing life updates, uh, theological right. essays. Uh, it was like your writing about politics, writing about just like discussing an idea for a class in school or sh- planning an event. And it was like tons and like voluminous and. And now email certainly is still useful. I'm not anti-email, but I would say often people send me a long email and I'm tempted <laughs> to like pick up the phone mm-hmm. or reply and be like, hey, can we talk about that next week when we meet up? Mm-hmm. And it's not that I love phone calls. I actually don't love talking to the phone, but I do love efficiency. And I've just found, oddly, I don't know why exactly. I'm curious. I don't know if it's just, I've become more and more ADD over time or if literally uh, it just it fit a niche then and it doesn't anymore. But super often, when your people time, send me... Your time is more valuable now, that's for sure. I guess that's it. I, what's nice about email and, and texting and any sort of format like that is the asynchronous nature, right? Yeah. I write when well, I'm free, I'm you read when you're I'm a much better communicator, too, when I'm writing. Way better. That could be. You're right. You can put, like, thought, ideas. But as I was chatting with a friend about this, I was like, what happened? What changed that back in the day I would write, like, hours a day? I was writing, like, emails and Facebook comments, and now I'm kind of like... Uh, it's more than a paragraph. We should just talk about this in person. <laughs> and and he posited, the person I was talking to, he posited one of the, there are pros and cons to, to written communication. One of the pros is you can actually think things through and, and develop ideas. But one of the cons is you have to kind of guess at the trajectory of conversation. Uh-huh. And if you make an error early on, you just wasted like 45 minutes of what you thought, where you thought the conversation would go, and then the person replies and is like, "Actually, I had a, this other idea." Uh-huh. And and so when you're in person, you can you instantly get that feedback. You're like, "Hey, I was thinking blah," and the other person can be like, "That's amazing. Let's let's uh-huh. talk about it." Or they could be like, "Oh, blah doesn't work." Uh-huh. And it and so I think after a few years Early of correction. having enough of my anticipated conversation trees going differently than I anticipated. Yeah. I'm just like it's a waste of time often. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it fits, but probably the more like the more specialized the conversation is you can you can go back to sort of long form true non face-to-face communication. Definitely. And it one of the nice things about email, a uh all the pros and cons, but having a record of the conversation yeah. super helpful. Uh also you can include links and things like that. Whereas in conversation, probably even in our conversation here, you reference ideas and you're like, oh, I read this thing once. 
Yeah. I can't remember the title. Whereas in an email, you just Google it and you actually have a link to the thing you read once. Yeah. And so there is a lot more precision and there are pros and cons. But yeah, I, I definitely interact with email remarkably differently than I did 20 years ago. So one thay I thought about is pre pre you know computers we had you, you, if you wanted to you wrote a long letter to someone right that was your correspondence um, even after we had the telephone you know like our grandparents they they would write letters that's that's just how it happened how it worked uh, and then that shifted to email and some I'm the I, I'll say the majority of that activity moved to email yeah and then and then where did it go it's kind of it doesn't sort of doesn't go didn't go anywhere right did it was it just sort of it's, like it's somewhat cheese graded sometimes it is somewhat now so say a friend of mine wants to communicate a longer idea i what i'm getting at is we might not to... be having these longer ideas anymore I, that is probably I read true. one sentence written by jonathan edwards and i need to take a break <laughs> so i have a thought on that i'll get to in just a second but i do think audio like people are realizing the utility of audio so even i have friends who will frequently send me like five minute i message oh, audio people use those lips. that little yeah. button i hit um, it accidentally yeah. and, the, and the message is like <laughs> yes oh and I, I the i the idea of the app does not interest me but the general notion of Marco Polo yeah, yeah. is just it's very it it's just so so efficient in terms of not having to hem and haw over wording you're just like here's what i'm thinking like right. and if you know somebody well you can just be like boom hey here's here's the brainstorm here's the whatever i find that without, without the without the exercise of, of having to craft that idea i just don't have very good ideas like i don't have no. i don't think very well extemporaneously gotcha that's just me Definitely, I can appreciate that. Now, here's a thought in terms of, I really do think that the way we interact with information mm -hmm. in the past 25 years has led to an increase in just ADD. Yes. And ADD not in an actual disorder, but in a sense of it's hard for us to focus, hard for us to work hard, think takes, hard. We have to learn to focus, and we right. haven't learned. We when haven't I was learned. 10, I would lay on the ground and read books for five hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And now sometimes I have to set a timer for like 20 minutes and be like, I'm not going to do anything but read for the next 20 minutes, which is pathetic, but mm -hmm. I'm just being honest. It's not pathetic. Somebody, a mutual friend of ours who okay, is a in pathetic. a former generation, yeah. recently, like three months ago, mailed me a magazine article that was like long. It was a New Yorker article, 10, 12, 15 pages, something like that. Super long for a magazine article. Really good, though. It was about uh, Justice Amy me Barrett mm -hmm. fail. You I can just see that up in my last conversation. Post. Yes, I, just, I never can remember her middle name. Barrett ACB. Uh -huh. uh, so you have ACB, and she, she's an, an amazing person. Like it's really impressive what she's accomplished and, and done. And this article is just going through, and clearly the person had a progressive uh, vantage point and had some concerns about her jurisprudence, how she might rule in the court, specifically regarding like uh, abortion rights and right. things like that. But my point here is it took me like three settings to read the whole article, <laughs> which is pathetic. And I loved it. It was super interesting. I would just be like three pages in and be like, oh, I've got to check this thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've got to do this thing. Oh, I, I need to text so-and-so. And, -so. and it, it's just the, the multi-tab right. existence. Um, Although if it I, were recorded, you could put it on 3X. 
And you would have consumed it all yes. very quickly. So I li- yesterday I listened to a, a message by a woman named Rachel Jankovich. Mm-hmm. She's a, like a, a Bible teacher from Northwestern United States. I think you know who she is. Uh, and it was actually awesome. It was called Anti-Fragile Mothering. I love the idea of anti-fragile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like her, her message was great. I would say there were like two minor bones to spit out, but tons and tons and tons of meat. I was challenged. Mm-hmm. I was like stirred. And it was just basically like, look, life is full of challenges, but uh, God's best for us is not just for us to sit around and bemoan the challenges and pity ourselves and say it's too hard. No, God's best for us is for us to lay hold of his grace mm-hmm. and thrive in that moment, to actually rise to the challenge, to grow in the midst of challenges. And it was an inspiring message. I think I listened to it at about 2.5x. And I was glancing down at the comments towards the end of the, the thing. It's a YouTube video. And one of the comments was, she speaks so fast. And I was like, I guess so. If I was only doing two 5X, because usually I do three or four. But uh, um, so we should shift because we sure. had an idea of what to chat about yeah, today. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. I sat down the other day to kind of just prepare, you know, prepare. I was like, oh, just write out some, I'll write out some notes, a little bit of a bullet point outline. And then as I began to think and prepare, I realized how unprepared I was I'm, like, oh, I'm gonna need like a year to prepare for this conversation we don't have time for that it's we're like, just having a conversation I know we're I know just gonna enjoy but it. I was like oh there's so much here if so, you wanted like a produced thing I know yeah. that's I've so I've never actually been on a podcast before mm-hmm. um and I've interviewed people but I've always I'm always behind the camera mm-hmm. and I control the editing and I take my voice out of it like and it's it's just prompting um so this is this is new this is a new f- medium we can edit this, me. but largely we won't. That's fine. Yes. We'll just t- take out any like egregious <laughs> yes. things we say. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I started reading a book recently called The Concept of Law. I have it, I have it here in front of me as a reference by H.L.A. Hart. I don't know when that was published in the 70s, 80s. Anyway, uh, yeah, you can usually tell by the smell of a book, 61. You ever, you ever smell a book? I have smelled You can tell like a when bunch. a book was published. I don't know how if I've smells. ever noticed oh, that. Yeah, you have to work on that, Jay. You can tell. Within a decade, at least, you can... You can. You have a skill <laughs> I do not yet possess. Mm. I mean, I certainly I can smell old books versus new books. Uh, sure. But like, Anybody can within a decade? Yeah. I've never even tried. No, really. <laughs> yeah, It's okay. true. Um, try it sometime. I will. I don't. It's a waste of time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you won't, though. You but won't. now I will. I never will try it. So I started reading this book recently. It had been beckoning to me off the shelf. I, I think I got it at Birchbark. Actually, my sister gave it to me. So in, in the inside cover, it says, <clears throat> Benny, enjoy, question mark, silly face, love, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and, and it, it, some of the concepts in there got me thinking about the relationship between law and morality. You are in law school. You yeah. are how far, what percentage into your legal education? I'm probably like 20% in. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yep, I'm on my third trimester of 10. Okay. But like towards the beginning, so like say. 20%. I would hope so. Yes. Otherwise, they're not, they're not teaching math. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I know you're not a distinguished law scholar yet, uh, but what I wanted to, you know, most people, and I, myself included, haven't really thought very deeply about laws and the concept of law other than 
laws that annoy me because I don't like them or sure, yeah. things that I think should be illegal or legal that are or aren't. Um, it's like where we, where, where our lives sort of intercept laws. That's where we think about them. But most people, I don't think, step back and think of it, think about a bot, you know, law as a, as a concept, what laws are at their core. Um, obviously there's like libraries written about this. So we're not going to get to this anything. And I don't have all the answers, too deep, but I'm happy to come in the next yes. six hours. But I figured, um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about this. Um, and where, uh, I, one of the, one of the quotes I came across was actually Augustine. This is in, is in this, this is in, um, he's reference to time. And I had thought about it. It's similar to thinking about law. He said, what then is time? If no one asks me, I know what it is. If I wish to explain it to him who asks, I do not know. And that's how I felt when I sat down to just go over notes. I was like, oh, I, yeah, law, concept of law. Sure, I know, I know, I could tell you. And as soon as you ask, right. nothing to say. Um, but we often will have, I think most people have a kind of a basic instinct when they hear about, like they hear about a law that they think is unjust, right? And there's like a gut reaction. There's like, a, oh, that's, that's wrong. Or that's, or that's a, that's a, that's a good law, right? Um, and life is complicated because we don't, those, those people don't agree on what that, you know, their gut reaction is different. So what I wanted to th talk about a little bit is your thoughts on where that gut instinct comes from. Like what, is it shaped? Is it, is it, is it, is it instinctive truly? Um, and what should we do with that? Like, um, when, what I want to be able to do, I, this is, I'm a little selfish in here because I'm, I'm okay. running for office, right? So I'm True. running for county legislator, St. Lawrence County, this, 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 uh, this season. Fall 22. Fall 22. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a legislator, legislative role. So it, that body, that board of legislators actually yeah. is responsible for the, sort of the law of this county. Yep. It's a big deal. Uh, and I want to, when discussing a particular law, um, or, you know, considering one, I want to be able to articulate and not just say, well, this is wrong or this is right. It's obvious on, you know, right. <laughs> that's not good enough. Like we have to be able to articulate the reasoning. And as I'm processing this, I keep coming back to uh, sort of moral terms. Right. Um, and tr trying to s square that relationship, uh, it's easy to say, well, laws against homicide are are also moral law. That Venn diagram is pretty, it's yeah, it's pretty pretty overlapped. But then you know, tax law, how you report something to the IRS, where's that Venn diagram overlap with law, more, more, like moral moral law? So anyway, I'm gonna I'm not even gonna pose a particular question. I'm gonna let you start talking, and yeah. I want to hear what comes out. <laughs> so I have lots of thoughts, mm -hmm. but I also I'm kind of doing this law school thing partly to think more about this. And I would say I'm excited because this summer, one of my classes, so I just began last week, beginning of the term, one of my classes is called Professional Responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of going through just the spheres of obligations lawyers have, but largely, at least from what I'm gathering from after, you know, reading the syllabus and one week of class, looking at it through examining ethical dilemmas and considering... Lawyers did, have did an, the professor begin with any lawyer jokes? Because that's like he, he did it. That would have been great. We, we began. I think we jumped straight into Holmes's uh, bad man 
reverse spiel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the question of like lawyer has a responsibility to their client, they have a responsibility to society and justice at large, and they also have a responsibility to themselves to be, you know, professional and you know lawyers of integrity. What and, I found interesting reading the code of conduct for attorneys yeah. is the yeah the, the bar the, the, the bar. model one for the, think, the, yeah, the yeah. national the bar I think yeah, it is. ABA. Um, but a lawyer, if I'm remembering right, can ask to be released from a particular case, but they they have to get permission. Like the judge has to okay that. Right? You you can't just as an attorney you can't recuse yourself from like midway through a case. You can't say there's some sort of ethical dilemma. I need to back away. Am I remembering that right? You know, I don't know. Okay. I don't remember that point. I think I have it's still. Reading some of the I think code it still has to be approved because it's complicated. Because you, you can't give away the reason because you're still protecting your client. Right. You can't betray case, you can't... privilege. Exactly. Uh, it's actually anyway. like illegal mm-hmm. to betray privilege. Yeah. Or at least it'll get you disbarred. Yeah. Might be not. Or or even so, judges can punish lawyers. They can find them. They can uh, bar them from practicing their courts. Those are called Rule 11 sanctions. Hmm. You Sorry, can also I, get disbarred. There is, so there's actually pretty high, so there are a lot of lawyer jokes, and I think sometimes they might be well-deserved. But on the whole, it's actually a relatively uh, self-aware and probably slightly too self-aggrandizing. But to the extent it is, in a sense of, like, we are the honorable, mm-hmm. uh, like, protectors of order and justice in our world, Mm -hmm. which I think is a good thing on the whole. Like there is actually a pretty high standard. Um, For example, there were a number of... You might get some angry comments on that that one though. Yeah. And again, I'm sure there there are plenty of crazy lawyers, but on the whole, there's a pretty high standard and it's high enough that in fact, uh, just within the past year, I've listened in to court hearings where lawyers were actually on trial Mm. for bringing lawsuits that the the allegation is that they knew would not win. And it's called a fr- frivolous lawsuit. Mm. And if a lawyer brings a lawsuit just to make a point, even if they like they're pretty sure they won't win, they could potentially get disbarred or fined or like banned from a court. So it was a number of lawsuits regarding the election in 2020. Mm. <laughs> um but whatever. <laughs> that gets into the political world, but the point is lawyers cannot use the court system to play politics. Uh-huh. And if they do, they potentially are facing huge fines, being banned from certain courts, or even disbarred entirely. Yep. And then they can't practice anywhere. And I think some people, when they hear that, they're like, whoa, what? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. And if lawyers like get caught lying, or if, if they sign off on something, and they say this is accurate, and it turns out it's not accurate, they could potentially get in huge trouble. Mm-hmm. Like, there there is a... a a responsibility every lawyer click carries. And what's interesting is it's largely to other lawyers. Right. They're, they're accountable to other it's, lawyers. It's, it's right. a responsibility it's to society and justice, but other lawyers. So it's a self enforcing mm-hmm. community where mm-hmm. we're even the bar. It's all a bunch of lawyers. And eventually, ultimately the bar things come before judges who are, you know, higher up all a bunch of lawyers. So it, it, it's a pretty interesting thing. And even part of why lawyers regulate lawyers rather than the government regulating lawyers is because if the government were regulating lawyers directly, potentially it would incentivize lawyers to go easy on the government. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the idea is we need, we, we want lawyers to be self-governed largely 
so that they're accountable to themselves and then can represent their clients and the interest of just, justice writ large well and fairly without governmental interference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, again, there are lots of lawyer jokes and they're funny, and there are probably plenty of crazy lawyers out there. There are a ton of lawyers, though. I believe I've seen statistics that like 1% of American professionals are lawyers, mm-hmm. which is a ton of lawyers. Uh, and on the whole, it's actually a pretty sober-minded and respectable class. Uh, one of the interesting things built in, so, so a couple thoughts, getting back to the, kind of the earlier question about law and I don't know if you used the word morality when you were talking earlier, but like that, yeah. that kind of concept. So one of the things that's tricky with laws is you're, you're trying to make a law that is what in parenting you have three children now. I almost mm-hmm. said two. Mm-hmm. You have three children. <laughs> I also have two children. You do have two children. Um, and I'm mostly thinking of two children because your third maybe isn't being like actively parented in a like instructional method yes. way. Ten, uh, ten weeks. Yes, ten, ten weeks. Yeah. So when you have two children, actually parenting well and fairly often means parenting each of them differently. Yep. Uh, oh, for sure. But that that does assume, and I think it's right to assume, that the parent on the whole is going to be trying to do their best to do what's best for their children and parent them well. So you want to empower parents to have that kind of freedom. Yeah. We don't necessarily want the government to be free to govern every citizen uniquely because uh-huh. that's just a recipe for abuse and oppressing liberties and like that's just horrible so actually we do want a government that treats everyone the same even though we're all different we want a government that on the whole treats us all the same so when there are laws passed or even court decisions made these things kind of pronounce rules of how the government interacts with their civilians and and sometimes we'll see one example and we're like wow that's like what the what in the world that's crazy but the if the people governing are governing well whether it's people in legislatures passing laws, judges enforcing laws, they're thinking not just about this single instance, but they're thinking about what are the implications of this and how could this potentially be abused, et cetera. Uh, For example, just this past week, I was uh, in property law looking at a case where there's an elderly fellow who's on his deathbed and in front of one of his servants, he gifted to another servant most of the contents of his house. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, the first servant, the third-party witness, hand him some keys, and he gave those keys to the, the other servant named Julia. And he said, like, hey, I'm giving you the bureau and the desk and the this and the that. Uh, and so the question was, after he was passed away, his estate was arguing with this servant, Julia, like, did he actually give her these things? Because mm. it wasn't in the will. It was just this gift, casa mortis, right before he died. Because yep. he was about to die, he gave this to her. Yep. And the the three elements for this kind of gift is you have to have donative intent. And clearly, and there was a witness, yep. he intended to donate it. You need to deliver the items to the person, and then they need to accept them. Mm-hmm. And they, the court held that because it was the key. things that the keys opened were hers. Like by delivering the key, those keys represented, it was a constructive delivery. He didn't hand the bureau, but he handed the key to the bureau. Right. Uh, However, it didn't include the things in the bureau 
that he could have handed to her like he handed keys. And one of those things was a life insurance policy for three grand, which in the 1890s is like a hundred grand. Wow. So she didn't, the estate kept, and the estate was, I think, belonged to his kids or whatever, you know, his, uh, the people who got his estate in the will. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she didn't end up keeping that. And it seems like, come on, clearly his intent, there was a witness and he was like saying, all of these ideas are ruined by flash drives, by the way. Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) Um, but like, it might yeah. be a slightly frustrating situation, but what the court's thinking is, and I'm not what, sure they got this one right, the but they're like, we want a rule where people can't just be like making up, oh, hey, right before he died, he said, I give you everything. Um, no, no, there has to be some sort of objective. He handed you something to really, it wasn't just he stated his interest, but he, he really like physically conveyed this thing. Yeah. And so they're thinking we want a rule that would prevent people from taking advantage of elderly people just like that mm-hmm. right before death. Also, it could really undermine wills. Mm-hmm. And and so the courts do try to protect the significance of wills and wills must be signed and witnessed. Yep. Um, there are statutes of wills in most states and you can't just undo your will in your dying breath without some sort of objective physical demonstration. And some people might be upset. Do you have a will? I do not. Me neither. Yeah. Now, there is just a common law intestate succession. Mm -hmm. So essentially, like, if I died, all my stuff would go to my parents. If you died, all your stuff would go to your wife. Um, If if your wife was dead, maybe you both died in a car accident, it would all go to your children. Mm -hmm. If your children died in the car accident, too, it would all go to your parents. And if... Your parents are dead, it would all go to your sister uh-huh. or siblings. And if they were all dead, it would go to the state, I think. Okay. Yeah. So there's like a, yeah, just a common law. So the law state has an, a financial interest in my entire family being dead? Is that yeah, it's called saying? a sheets. It's actually this thing that comes from the feudal system, like feudal age. Yeah. And essentially... I'm still, I'm a ward of the state if, at some level. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a king or a baron who owns the property of a region, and then you have various... Uh, you know, landlords with knights and then the serfs below mm-hmm. them type thing. Um, if some knight or a lord died, there's like the natural succession. Yes. But if there are no natural successors, heirs, up a level. it would just default back to the baron or the king. Okay. It's called a sheets. And in the United States, we still have that and just goes to the state if you it's don't have any. How much uh, of that? You, like medieval law is still yeah. now you can if you're a single person with like no family or tons of family you can have a will where you give your estate to uh, the red cross mm-hmm. or, or whatever so you right. certainly are free to do that yep. but the natural succession it won't go to the red cross right. it'll go to the state if there aren't those it's a good time to break to our advertiser uh <laughs> legalzoom.com no, yes <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like so what, what's key though is in this this case with the the man and giving the gift right before he died yeah. is the court was thinking What's a good precedent? Mm-hmm. We're not interested in simply... We, we want to judge well here, but we also want to judge well here. Being mindful, we're setting a precedent. Mm-hmm. And if the precedent is just like, oh, hey, this old dude right before he died said, I want to give you all my stuff, including my life, life insurance policy. We're hesitant to just go on that. Right. There's got to be a real demonstration. Uh, one of the... the, the ancient phrasings of why there needs to be delivery along with donative intent is that the delivery causes the owner to feel like you feel the, pain. the wrench mm-hmm. of giving mm-hmm. 
Yes, and it's kind of like paying for gas in cash. You're like, oof, gas is expensive. I usually just swipe a card. The ancient envelope system of budgeting. And and so that was what delivery is for. So the point of that, though, is that sometimes we'll see some sort of anecdote. We're like, well, that's messed up. And it's important. It possibly, it is messed up. Yeah. And sometimes it's messed up and it's like, that's just a bummer situation. Sometimes it's messed up and you're like, there's a bad judge or there's a bad law. Sometimes though, it's like, uh, this is actually a pretty good law. And if we made a law to address that situation, who knows what kinds of, you know, uh, unintended consequences would follow. And I do think that there is dispositionally something different about the... Someone who has somewhat of a conservative disposition mm. versus like a, a, a an activist disposition, mm-hmm. and the one of the big differences, I believe Chesterton, Chesterton said something like this: If the difference is that when a conservative is in a field and finds a fence post, he asks, "Why is this here?" When the progressive activist goes into a field and finds a pen's post they're like let's pull it out right and maybe the the answer is we should pull it out i think but it, like why is it here i like think the quote is, bigger picture like the i don't know the term progressive or liberal, whatever he uses i do to not know the terms that. he uses those terms flip-flop in history anyway right. but basically yeah basically that the disposition is he says well let's take this down and the conservative says you can't take it down until you can Tell me why it was initially put here. Yeah. What, what was its what was its initial purpose? And um, and I think that that's important when we see some anecdote mm. that's unsettling. Um, there could be multiple explanations, mm-hmm. and one of them could be this is a bad law or a, a bad judge. Mm-hmm. But one of them could be it's actually a decent law that generally works well, and this is just a really you think bummer a, situation. A situation where a a physician and an out of work, uh, you know. Um, I don't want to say plumber, but plumbers actually do pretty well for themselves. Um, I, I don't know someone who's making minimum wage, right? Someone flipping burgers, they get a head-on collision, and the and the and the surgeon and the burger flipper both die in the in the you know accident. Right. And there's some sort of you know equal fault, uh, and the the life insurance payout or the you know the liability, the the um, I don't know what the terminology would be, but basically the physician's life would be valued at a higher dollar amount. Yep. Like, because they factor in lost future earnings. Yeah, and there's a, there's a few there's different functions and how to get to that you know that number. Uh, but that like that can feel like intuitively like ooh, but and maybe they both had three kids and maybe they both you know right whatever maybe the maybe the burger flipper was an insp- aspiring maybe wanted to enter med school next semester. You know, there's all these things that like complicate it and make you feel like oh that's something's wrong there. Um, but it's 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 a there's an element of um, efficiency. That has to be maintained in the law. Uh, that, I mean, you, you can. You can... Well, and, and the idea there. So basically, when when someone dies and there's some sort of negligence or something, mm-hmm. so there's the opportunity for estates to file suit for a tort, tortious action like yep. uh, wrongful conduct. The part of the damage damages calculation is factoring in lost future earnings, yep. and. And that differs depending on somebody's field, their profession, right. their experience, their education, etc. And that does feel, in some ways, really unfair. But at the same time, maybe it's right. what fair actually is. But I think your point earlier is asking, what was it for? What right. is that law for? What is that, that those regulations? What are they for? They're not to um, 
they're not to redeem a human life, right? They're not to place a value on a human life. They're to make whole an estate. Mm. Or make whole like is that. really whole. key. Right, that's the terminology. So, so for example, let's say the, let's say the surgeon doesn't die. Mm. Let's say a, a young 25-year-old surgeon just like is in the middle of his residency and, you know, 400 grand in debt, but like a, a future, they're right. looking at making a half million bucks a year or whatever surgeons make these days. You would know the numbers. Yeah. Half million? Million? Sure. What's a surgeon make? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. A chunk it depends of on what they're surgerizing. Sure. But like the, the point is, like, so say, say they're, they're 25 in residency and they get into a car accident. They don't die, but they are, I don't know, slightly, they're, they're, they're paralyzed, their legs are paralyzed, and they have chronic fatigue and headaches. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're not really going to be, they're never, definitely never going to perform surgery, but they're not even really able to hold any sort of steady job. Um, the, the point isn't just to say like, hey, what, what's the value of a pair of legs and headaches? <laughs> the, Part of it is suffering and like how much is this suffering causing you to suffer? That's part of the damages calculation. But part of it is how much would you have earned? Like mm-hmm. you just put in years of work and hundreds of thousands in debt investing in something. And what this person wrongfully did, say it was a car accident, but the other person was entirely at fault. Mm-hmm. What they wrongfully did just robbed you of that future right. that you had been working for and even borrowing for. And if your future is valued the same as the high school dropout who is now stocking shelves. You guys are both people and there's a moral equivalency of value. People are people created in God's image, mm-hmm. but there certainly is a difference that that high school dropout doesn't need the same kind of compensation as that young surgeon right. to pay off school loans and to provide for some of the stuff that he was destined to do had that person not wrongfully injured him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's actually profoundly fair. And that's where I was going to go mm-hmm. is Although there are rules that are like sometimes they just lead to bummer situations, there's a lot of flexibility in the law, mm-hmm. more so than I thought before starting law school. Um, certainly there are black and white, especially when it comes to like constitutions and statutory law, it's pretty clear. And like this is what the law is. But it turns out, and I was unaware of this prior to law school to the, ex- the extent, a lot of American jurisprudence is in... Tort law, civil right. law, contract law, property law, is these this, categories. Is like the difference between like a, a, a rule and a standard? Is that exactly the same idea or not so much? Yes, but even – so it's like just common law areas. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so – There's an interpretation that happens. Right, they have rules or standards, but often the rules and standards include vague phrases. Mm-hmm. Like they say, there is an objective test in this situation and, they're, and they're, did was the person acting the way a reasonably prudent ordinary person would act um it seems that half of those half of those vague uh vague terms are were written by um learned hand yes right <laughs> like that guy had a yes. knack yeah learned, learned hand was a uh, quite the prolific judge uh he wrote a lot and and but this notion of like reasonable ordinary prudence right. even say with a lawyer so say you as a lawyer, you, you submit a thousand pages of documents from your client to the court. You present it to the opposing party, you present it to the court, and you sign off and say, these are all legit. They're, they were like, you know, well, well uh, gathered and prepared. This is all legitimate. I sign off. Yeah. 
What if there's an error? What, what if you were missing one of the documents right. that was requested of you or something like that? Right. You could potentially get fined, banned from practicing that jurisdiction, or even disbarred. Mm-hmm. If it was found that you were not exercising the care of a reasonably prudent lawyer. Right. But if you're like, hey, I'm so sorry. It says mistake. Tuesday versus Wednesday, and it actually right. doesn't affect But, but the if case. you can show like, hey, a reasonably prudent lawyer might make the same mistake. Yeah. They might just give you a slap on the hand, and and so it's it's considered an objective standard, but it has a remarkable amount of wiggle room. We're in contract law; there are these phrases like, um, "You must if if you fail to deliver on time, the the other party needs to let you know and then give you like reasonable time to cure or to to make good, mm-hmm. or if they cannot wait." They can go out and buy the same thing that they had ordered from you for pretty much any reasonable price mm-hmm. within any reasonable time, and you have to pay the difference. Mm-hmm. So say I was going to deliver to you a 1,000 iPods, right. and the date arrives, and I haven't delivered them to you. Mm-hmm. You can go out if you need them. You can just go out and buy a 1,000 iPods from somebody else for twice the price. Right. And assuming you weren't doing some sort of finagling, getting your sure. money, friend a bunch of money, like, you know, if he's selling to you way over the market you, value. Did you hear, though, that Apple just discontinued the last iPod? I did hear that. <laughs> they're, they're, when it stocks out, that's it. We're done. It's true. I actually didn't know they were still making them. So me either. <laughs> to me. I just heard that, like, two weeks ago. So it's an iPhone without the phone? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fine. But, uh, but, like, if that happens... You can go cover it, and yes. it's a reasonable amount of time yeah. for a reasonable price. Right. And actually, in that case, the burden of proof is on the breaching party yeah. to show that you weren't being reasonable. Sure. And and so there's actually a lot of flexibility written into the law mm-hmm. to try to make space for those cases. But there are unfortunate situations. Like, mm-hmm. here's an unfortunate one. There was a, a housing authority in Reading, Pennsylvania. And oh, one of the things, for good reason, in the United States, generally speaking, every state's different, but generally speaking... If you enter into a binding contract with an infant, with a minor, somebody who's not 18. Okay. Most people, when you say infant, think like a three-year-old. Yeah. Like, I don't you know. know. The, 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 the cases all call <laughs> if it If you infants. finish your dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not something I would have ever said a year ago, I, but I, now I've yes. read like no, 50 no, no, cases where have, I describe infants. Who was at the meeting? You're like, well, there were there were 17 adults and, and, and five, uh, what do you say? Five. I, I would say juvenile Juvenile persons, persons. Yes. yes. But... Uh, <laughs> Infants is often the way lawyers Got refer it. to people who are not adults. Okay. Um, but, like, when you enter into a contract with a minor, yes. the it can be voided. It's not necessarily voided. It's actually binding but as long as they, they want to follow it. But they or their uh, guardian, guardian can void that contract. Got it. And that heavily incentivizes people to not enter into contracts with minors. You want to enter into contracts with the guardian of the minor. Uh Um, Hence, typically, any parent out there, you've been in situations where you as the parent sign for something for your Uh child. Because they're entering into a contract with you, not your minor. That's fast. I didn't know that. Right? And now they can enter into a contract with the minor. It's just... It's one-sided, basically. The person can breach and they're scot-free. Now, as a result of this, the housing authority in Reading, Pennsylvania... You can go, you know, what, what is the um, uh, rock climbing where you have two people and you're, you're sort of, what is that called? Not free solo, not solo, like, but it's belaying, belaying right? So the idea would be you can, you can belay with a minor. But they can let you but go if they drop you, you're, and they're fine. You, yeah, yes. you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that really, exactly. Yeah. And so at the time, this is in the 1960s, this case came up. And so at the time, the age of majority is 21. So there's like a, I don't know, 18 or 19 year old minor 
who was from Puerto Rico originally, moved up to like Jersey or something like that, was living with her grandparents, moved to Reading, Pennsylvania, had a boyfriend. Well, she might have actually been younger. She might have been like 15 or 16. But the age is, she's a minor. That's mm-hmm. all that matters. Um, she had a boyfriend in his 20s. She ended up pregnant. This is the Gonzalez. Uh... It's Rivera v. Reading Housing okay. Authority something. In, the ni- in like 1962, maybe. Okay. And what's a bummer, though, is she went to rent from the housing authority. As This is a couple years later. Uh, her, her mom was like incarcerated in Florida, and her dad might be dead. I can't remember. Like, she wasn't with her parents. She kind of was living with her grandparents but wanted out. And so the housing authority was basically like, sorry, we don't, we don't do rental agreements with minors. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't. Right. Because of the fact that minors could just breach their contract and we have no remedy... We just have a policy. We don't have yeah. contracts with minors, which is a reasonable policy. In fact, the idea, the way common law approaches contracts with minors is to incentivize people not to go into contracts with right. minors and take advantage of They're responding of them. to the incentive. Right. Yeah. So they're responding to the incentive. The problem is you have this, like, I don't know, 16 or 17-year-old single mom who is looking for a housing, housing and can't find housing. Mm-hmm. It's like she's, like, stuck, right? And now the thing is in her situation, the court decided – she was able to go back and live with her grandparents. She just preferred not to. Okay, uh, but it was a it was a situation where it's so it's, sued, it's a good policy. She sued the housing authority. She lost, mm. and it was one of the situations where you're kind of like, I think it's probably a good policy yeah. that the law incentivizes against entering into contracts with minors. In and this situation, it was a bummer because the question it's asking is not. What should they do in this situation is kind of what must they do in every situation. Right. In a way. Now, certainly the organization could have rented to her. Right. Yeah. Um, it, they just had – it was a, you know, a housing authority right. like for the city and they had a policy against it. And so it was – it's a bummer situation. Uh-huh. But I'm not sure the court should have been like, actually – you have to rent to minors because then every 15-year-old is just going to run away and be like, you have to rent to me and I will never pay you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it, would, it would incentivize chaos and ridiculousness. So there are situations that are just there, – there's not room for that kind of flex. But So this is getting back to your question of clearly law is trying to identify like things that are healthy for society. For mm-hmm. example – incentivizing against entering into contracts with minors, but also, but doing that by saying you can, we're just going to allow them to breach because we recognize minors are a class of persons who could be easily taken advantage of. Similarly, when people are on their deathbed and they give gifts, we're going to be kind of hard on them, not to be hard on them, Mm -hmm. but to make sure that every old person on their deathbed isn't being manipulated right. into just like undoing their will. For, yeah. Exactly. Because you can imagine yeah, sure. that if if you allowed with like a super low bar of a threshold of, of evidence, if you allowed these gifts right before death, everybody's going to be flocking to deathbeds trying to get some old person to give them all their stuff. And, and I'm not trying to be ageist, no. but you can imagine just people are in a vulnerable moment. They're there's, about to die and there's somebody with them. And there's two sides to the equation because we see we see the outcome. Because in that situation, there's one law, right? Oh, I'm, I'm oversimplifying. But there's one approach. One yeah. um, and we see the, the, the negative outcome of that is in some situations, there was, you know, this person on their deathbed really did truly intend to give them the keys to their car. And they really did, you know, whatever. And if they handed the keys, the court would say, right. But no. if they said, 
it's it's a Tesla and it's on my phone and just talk to the dealer and they'll you know they'll transfer it to your they phone. They wouldn't take that. Yeah. They wouldn't take it. Like they they really did genuinely. So that's a that's a bummer situation. I think it's the illegal term you use. Yeah, it's a legal term. Okay, yeah. the bummer, bummer situation. <laughs> so it's a bummer situation. Um, but what's the other side of the equation? If that didn't exist, because it, it's easy to it's easy to to make a judgment call on that and say, oh look at this situation, we shouldn't have this rule. Okay, well let's ask what would happen in real life without that in place without that protection in place is you'd right you'd have this open door for abuse yeah. and and it'd be it would far outweigh the negative yeah. outcome would far outweigh uh, the, the outcome of the law right and so the courts are trying to both and, and law generally there's a lot of flexibility built built in but also some rigidity to try to think of setting precedent and avoiding just cascades of unintended consequences not to say that that always works well mm-hmm. But they try. Um, now, now, you mentioned getting more into the idea of morality. So clearly there's there's some morality even in this. Thinking about like not manipulating uh, vulnerable sure. categories of persons. So murder is clearly uh, a law that most people support. And clearly moral. We'd say it's like wrong. It's not simply that it's illegal to kill people. Mm-hmm. It's wrong to kill people. Yeah, there's an overlap there. And then you juxtapose that with tax law. Yeah. And... It, it's not like, uh, I don't know, I was going to say something about state tax, but actually some people get really, uh, they feel like that's very moral, immoral. But like, uh, I don't know, the, the fact that taxes are different for, what, what's it called? I'm blanking on the name. We can cut tax this when you, uh, No, sell stock. What's that called? Capital, oh, capital gains. gains. Yeah, so capital gains is different from income tax, uh-huh. right? Right. And that's that's not like a right or wrong. It's just a difference. Uh-huh. Um, So, do you but think if, if I'm parenting and I decide we're having yogurt for breakfast and not eggs, and my kids throw a fit, it's not wrong that I chose yogurt as over eggs, but them having a fit and losing their temper because it's not the one they wanted—that is, that's the equivalent. They're, they're, that's tax evasion in this analogy. Right. It, it moved from uh, a gray. Hey, the parents are just making some decisions mm-hmm. to a black and white. You're being rebellious and disrespectful. Right. Yep. And yeah, and I can, I can, I've had conversations with people who, who, you know, believe all taxation is theft and um, most of them still pay their taxes because they understand they have negative consequences for right. not paying your taxes. I, like it's bad, the bad man, the pragmatic. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. If you're going to, if you want to live on the grid, basically it's pragmatic to just pay your taxes. Um, so, what so how do we how do we think about this in situations where the 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 morality of the issue at stake is more in question is not as black and white uh okay homicide like you said pretty much most people can agree yeah. in the general cases right and there are a lot of situations where whether something whether something is is moral or not uh forget whether um yeah, just the, where where it lands, and this is this is right or wrong or good or bad for our society. That's not clear. If you ask, if you take a sample of a hundred people, there are some some issues that you'll get a pretty wide range of answers. Yeah. Um, how do you think about the way law addresses those questions? I'll let you come up with examples. Yeah. So maybe like. 
I'll, I'll approach it from a slightly different angle. Yeah, same yeah, thing. Sure, sure. So like, um, I want to talk about the, the concept of rule of law for okay. a moment. Because I, I do think that sometimes we can approach law and Lex be like, Rex. well, these things are like, clearly these laws are in line with uh, my understanding of objective morality. Sure. But there's a whole host of laws that are questionable or maybe even some that I think are like bad laws. And there are times to just like cast off the restraints and like start a new experiment. Although I even question the American Revolution. That's another whole conversation. Sure, we can, that's next week. But we'll, yes, we'll, that's next week. Uh, if we get more than 10 listeners to this podcast, <laughs> that's the, you listen, listen, if you subscribe. Yes. Uh, I don't know if five people make this far, but I'm having fun. So the, the, the thing, though, is I, I do think that on the whole, we are losing an appreciation of the value of the rule of law. Uh-huh. And the, the, the rule of law is what I mean by that is like we live in a, a healthy and orderly society that allows for a, a relative freedom, peace, and prosperity yeah. that's basically unknown throughout the ages. Yeah. It's, and, and it, honestly, it's rare even in the world. I mean, I've traveled correct. to, I've been around the world a number of times, and it is refreshing to come home, even right. to New York State. It is refreshing oh, it is. to come Dude, home. The first time, so it's I went so cool. to Turkey when I was in high school, uh-huh. and it was a great experience. I loved it. I, I love just new cultures, languages, foods, experiences, you yeah. know, going into mosques, etc. Yeah. It was an amazing experience. Got the opportunity to tell people about Jesus and pray and but when I got back to New York City, I literally kissed the pavement, pavement at JFK. <laughs> it was like, yeah, and then you got COVID. <laughs> yeah, then I got COVID. Yeah, I was in case patient one zero. But uh, <laughs> whatever. The okay, so mm-hmm. the, but the rule of law. There, there's I think there's this, uh, and I understand it. This tendency to be like, A, B, C are so frustrating, and D is bad. I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna burn it all down. I'm gonna mm-hmm. start over. I'm going to do what's right in my eyes because what's right in my eyes is actually right. The problem is when you live in a society where everybody has that approach, you end up with people, you know, violating like important norms for healthy functioning at the Supreme Court and like yep. leaking court decisions sure. before they're finalized. You, you end up with people, I don't know, you know, storming, right. uh, BLM, uh, not Black Lives Matter, but the Federal Bureau of Land Management headquarters in like Nevada or wherever that was a few years back. Do you, do you remember the BLM oh, yeah. thing out there? You know, you just I wonder up... if they have like a merch store. <laughs> BLM or the the Bureau of Land Management? Oh uh, yeah, at this point, like everybody shot. like their their acronym was destroy or, yes. or uh, subsumed. There, it's not called an acronym when you can't say it. It's called a. Yeah, it's called a a oh what's it called? So so like NASA is an acronym because you can pronounce it, uh-huh. but CIA is a. I, I it's oh, not in my on, brain. Ben. I've never learned it. Come it's on, fascinating. It, it's called like a Google Google it real quick for me. It's called like a, it has something to do with like letters or or just do like acronym verse in in Google initialism and, initialism. Yes, thank you. So. BLM is initialism, but not to give. I'm not going to give Google credit. That was a DuckDuckGo. Oh, DuckDuckGo yeah, gave it to you. Okay, time. what's up? I uh, so I almost always use DuckDuckGo, but when I want like something just to finish my thought mm-hmm. with 99.9 percent accuracy, dude, Google. They, I just know how they, 
it's it's remarkable what they've done and scary. A friend of ours recommended and uh, I asked a great restaurants in Chicago recently, and the answer I got was Duck Duck Goat. That's a restaurant. It's a restaurant in Chicago. No right? way! That's that amazing. That's super cool. Okay. Give me like three goat goat restaurants. It's like yeah, okay, well. We cover the goats. Impressive. So back to rule yeah, of law. Right. So rule of law. You, you you end up with this anarchy and everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And maybe what's right in your eyes is actually right. But you just like... And sometimes the solution is burn it all down. Yeah. I don't think it's that's always wrong. But I think it's usually wrong, especially when you happen to be in a an orderly overall peaceful flourishing prospering system where there are ways to try to affect change that aren't just bringing it all down to its credit the american revolution was less a revolution more of a reformation okay it it, it wasn't a burn it all down that is true um, situation that is very true and it was yeah it wasn't just some random it wasn't the first it was people with influence it was governors and representatives and and they they went through a process of of sorts i do think they they Somebody just wrote a, a biography on King George in the oh, past yeah, two years. That. Yes. I think his name is like Ron Johnson or something. I can't remember. Anywho, uh, he's a Brit and definitely has a uh-huh. bit of a British bias. Uh-huh. I haven't read the biography, but I've listened to multiple interviews with the dude. Yeah. And it's super interesting. But it does confirm a little bit of what I already suspected. And that is that King George was not like the villain that sometimes we castigate him as, although it's super fun in Hamilton. Um, he was actually a relatively decent king who was very much in favor of parliamentary rule, right. which was kind of like liberal in terms of like freedom and rights and those notions yeah. compared to uh, other European monarchs of his day. Yeah. But whatever. The, the American Revolution is a different thing. But like, I, I do think there's something to value in the rule of law. And mm-hmm. where I'm going with this is there are things that are in the gray zone and hey, poly- politic on them. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you're going to be a legislature. There are some things where you're like, these are black and white, but most of what you're dealing with at a county level, you're not like rewriting criminal codes. Sure. Most of what you're dealing with is like, hey, we want to set our county up for success. Yeah. Like, do, do we bump up the tax rate a quarter of a percent? Do we staff? Do we like put more into like road construction? Like, I don't even know what you deal with at the county level, the day to day, but it's a lot of grays. Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to say, like, hey, like, oh, these will be important. And then you're just trying to make, you know, coalitions and deals. And there might be a couple things where you're like, wow, this is bad. Yes. And one thing you could do is you could just bail on the county. You could leave. You could declare independence from the county. Who knows? Like, you could do things like that. Or you could be a legislature. Or, or there are even ways, I think civil disobedience is a great way of taking really strong stance on, like, this law is horrible, mm. but without burning it all down. Mm-hmm. Civil disobedience says, I'm not going to cooperate. You can throw me in jail. Yep. Like, I'll, I'll, I'm still submitted to this rule of law experiment. And I'll even submit to the consequences of breaking yep. laws to point to out further, this unjust law. Or, or further some Exactly. Yep. And, and that's what a lot of the civil rights movement was engaged in. I shouldn't say a lot. The, the remembered parts of the civil rights movement were engaged yeah. in. And it might have been a lot. I don't know enough to say if it was a lot. But that's significant. I, I do think it's, it's important for us to appreciate what we have and to like, rem- like value this, this rule of law and, and the... Like trying to work within the system, mm-hmm. 
voting, passing laws, persuading friends, uh, potentially even civil disobedience, and using those as options way before we think about just like burn it all down. So in order to arrive where you're, you know, at this position that you're you're stating, you yeah. kind of have to be an institutional optimist in some way. Okay. Uh, you, you, right? Because you, yeah. you're, you're trusting an institution. I'm, I'm not saying like the pillars, the, the marble pillars, but the process and the, the way our society churns through these questions, um, even at a local level. Yeah. Uh, so there, there is an element of um, institutional conservatism that is, I would think, required to even get to that conclusion. Yep. What do you think about that? I, I think you're right. Um, take, for example, I followed closely the Kyle Rittenhouse trial last fall. Yeah. And it was alarming to me that many influential people in America, uh, many in media, many within the political world, I had fellow law students who were 100%, like there was no convincing them of anything other than the fact that like Rittenhouse a was a racist, cold-blooded mass murderer. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, it, it was alarming to me. Fortunately, the trial, the, the jury seemed reasonable. They found what I think was pretty obvious, that it was a massively sad situation, but Rittenhouse had... Uh, he he was his shooting mm-hmm. was in self defense. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, his second victim, I think, could have shot Rittenhouse in self defense. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those I would call that a bummer situation. Yeah. When you have two people who both have a yeah. justified uh, shot at one another, ideally we de-escalate with no one getting shot. Try to avoid that. Yeah. Um, and I would certainly say a lot of people bear responsibility for the fact a situation like that existed, mm-hmm. including Rittenhouse, including the other dude, right. including all the rioters, right. including the police who are permitting all the rioting. An element of those kinds of cases um, is the the question at hand is not really about good or bad decisions leading up to that moment, maybe right to some degree but in that moment was the guy pointing a gun on him right and, and we talked about so those kinds of cases him. where it, yeah, if you take a sliver of time it's clear uh but the way the law is written is you're not you know you're not really you're not at liberty to to talk about or to 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 you know consider what when they woke up in the morning you know those decisions how it impacted the outcome 100 uh, percent. yeah yep okay. and so but but that's an example of i'm happy to say the jury process works mm-hmm. Um, we have, and on the whole, the American justice system, I would say, like, right now it's incredibly slow. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some still things a, to uh, improve on that. COVID lockdown backlog. I was going to say, part of it's the COVID Huge. stuff. Uh, I have a lot of ideas for, I shouldn't say a lot, I have several big ideas for improving the American justice system. But on the whole, it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. There, is, there is the benefit of the doubt given to the defendant. There is, uh, there are constitutional rights provided, like uh, jury of peers, right to uh, defense attorney, um, things like uh, right to not have to be forced to incriminate yourself, mm-hmm. you know, Fifth Amendment, etc. There's, there's like a lot of good protections. Um, I think the jury system, juries are not perfect, yeah. but can you get much fairer than saying like, hey, uh, 
also, are they more perfect? An option is given. Option. Defendants can actually voluntarily pass on a jury and just have a ju- judge hear it, sure. which is great. I think it actually, it's perfect. The, the defendant can basically say, is my situation, yeah, maybe I kind of broke the law, but it really, there was some like reasonable thing that I think a lot of people in my shoes would agree with me that like, man, man maybe I messed up, but I was, I'm not really guilty of this law because it's, it's complicated and they'll see what I'm saying. Go for a jury. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're like, oh man, I did some really nasty stuff, but actually I didn't break the law. Mm-hmm. I don't think a jury will ever understand that. I'm going to go to a judge. Yep. So oftentimes people who are mm-hmm. convicted of things related to like like uh, child abuse, child pornography, something sure. like that, they're going to tend to opt for the judge because they're going to be like, yo, they're, they're, they're splitting hairs. Somebody who's be. done law for 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. they have a law degree. They're going to know that what I did was horrible, but was it actually this? Mm-hmm. Like, let's like get into the nuance of the law. Whereas your jury, they're all just going to be like, you're sick. We're going to put you in jail yeah. for life. Yeah. And, and so they'll, they'll often opt for a, a bench trial. I don't know the actual numbers. I don't know if it's a majority of the time, but it makes sense to me. Like, as I'm thinking. And so it's, we have a great system that allows for, uh, to, to allow a defendant to either appeal to a jury of peers or to appeal to just a judge of one. Mm-hmm. And he gets to decide what, what he thinks will work well and try to defend themselves. It's a great system. And does it have problems? Yeah. Are, do guilty people go free? Yeah. Do guilty people sometimes get convicted? Yeah. You mean do innocent people sometimes get convicted? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Do innocent hope. people sometimes get convicted? <laughs> sometimes we yeah. do convict guilty people. That is also true. Um, there are problems. Yeah. Yep. But on the whole, it's actually a pretty good institution. And, and the thing is, that you're, this is getting back to institutional, institutional conservatism, uh, is there a better solution? Mm-hmm. Like, do we want to return to posses? Uh, lynchings? I don't know. Like, those in, could in work. In an incredibly we... heterogeneous society, this system works pretty darn well. It works amazingly yeah. well. And, and, and I do think that a lot of the current contention, I'm afraid is destroying trust in institutions. It, it's highlighting, when you highlight an error in an institution, um, if you're really highlighting it in the hopes of improving it, mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. But if you're just highlighting it to try to weaken institutions, mm-hmm. shame on you in my opinion. Yeah. Because you're really just leading to a more anarchical, chaotic, unjust world. And you, I mean, you can you can scale that down to a, a team, you know, a work team or a church body. Like, you know, you're, yeah. you're a pastor. Yeah, any so church you're at, someone you comes can find to you problems. with a problem. Says, pastor Jamie, blah 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 blah. Now sometimes they are intense and they're angry, and but you you know whether you're intuiting or they say it um, that they're, they they there's a there's a sense of earnest like pursuit of they want to make this right, and um, and then other times someone comes. I'm, I'm not saying particular situations, but it happens where someone comes up with the same same issue, even the yeah. same words, but the intent is to divide. Just being critical, and it's, to, and, it's yeah, not to, to try to. Yeah, yep, hundred um, percent. Yeah, and I do see. Sadly, in this moment, I feel like there is, well, on the the far left, I think the the underlying ideology behind critical theory is uh, a, a descendant of Marxism, mm-hmm. and Marx's ultimate. After identifying tensions, which are true, there are tensions in the world, there's conflict in the world. Marx's conflict theory is a, a true observation. Yeah. But his solution was workers of the world unite. It was to stoke it. It was to just try to burn it all down. Right. And it you becomes, see on the far left, the criticisms 
really are not to try to uh, bring strength and health to institutions, but to undermine. Mm-hmm. And But what's a little concerning to me is at times I feel like conservatives can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. At, at some point, it might get to that p- place. Like, for example, something I've thought about a lot in the past decade, and I'd even say my mind is shifting the past decade, partly because I think the problem has gotten like noticeably worse in the past decade. But the American college university system, mm-hmm. it's a mess. Mm-hmm. And private and public. Yeah, just just the way we approach uh higher learning s- school and... and just the number of people in positions of a, of power who are activists and trying to force their ideology and uh police their students without proper due process, things like that. It's just, it's a mess. And it is to the point where I'm not ready to like give up on the university as an institution entirely, but I am highly recommending people think twice and also excited when people think of alternatives. Mm -hmm. Cause I, but the the reason I'm excited about alternatives is because I think alternatives could, I would be okay with like half of universities in America shutting down Mm -hmm. and the other half like really rethinking and re, like restabilizing and re grabbing a hold of what institutions of higher learning can really be about. Yep. Like I, I'm a fan of that, but I think some people are just like, let it all burn. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, ah. right. like I would love for it, for universities to be what we dream of them yes. to be, uh, not live, just to live up to the aspiration. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, great. Now, now I get back to the institutional question. So, what do you think about institutions? Like, I've been talking a lot. No, that's uh, the point. That's... What are your thoughts? No, no, no <laughs> I, I got wanna, more questions. I want to hear more yeah, of your yeah. thoughts, and then uh, we should probably wrap up sometime soon. It's been like an hour. <laughs> we'll see how how devoted people are. And for part seven, we'll see. So, yeah, uh, I was actually talking. I was I was talking with someone earlier today about about lean like process improvement, right? So, lean development, lean de- lean development, right? Uh, and Usually when someone learns about lean, which is not an acronym, acronym, it's been acronymized, but it's just, it just means lean. Lean, and lean like and mean, minimal or like efficient. Yes. yes. Uh, usually you, you, learn the, you learn the theory of lean you know, process improvement and you think, oh, everything's always changing. Uh, so always be flexible. And it sounds like viva la revolution, right? It sounds like <laughs> this Marxist like project improvement theory, but it's not. It actually is... Nothing changes. You develop absolute rigidity until you make an improvement, and then you're then you're totally flexible. So you 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 don't change until you change on purpose and for a reason, and then you stop changing, and then you start changing, and then you stop changing. And mm. that whole idea of flexible rigidity um, becomes really powerful when you're improving a process in like a you know a corporate setting. Yeah. Um, but when you think about institutions. Uh, Law is is rigid until it changes, right? And then and then it changes, and then it's rigid again, and then it develops, and then it evolves. And and I, I you know you you can see snippets of it and, and hear about you know some some uh, 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 even something like a, a regulation changing, right? And think oh now all regulations mean nothing, right? Like no, that one changed, and why? Maybe for a good reason, maybe for a bad reason. And you can pursue it if you want. You know, if you don't like it, you can you can lean in to that issue. Um, but I think understanding the dynamic of 
institutions and the stability of those of those systems, why they exist, and then understanding, like you're saying, these things are actually designed to develop. Um, and then you think, well, th then there's a question of, all right, well, if you're ta if you're using these these phrases like developing law and evolving concepts of of justice. How can you be a textualist or an originalist, right? A constitutional textualist. Right. Um, and maybe that gets into like broad rights versus application or, you know, uh, that's a whole different conversation. But anyway, that, that's kind of where I stand on institutions is um, premises. They're not perfect. As someone, I think, so part of the issue, like you talked about conservatives, um, for whatever reason, saying, well, let's just, let's just burn it all down. But for, which for, is not for actually a very reason, conservative right, disposition. It's not. Yes. Often that's reactive. Right? Mm -hmm. Somebody walks up and says, we should burn it down because it's flawed. And look at these people who are, who are not being served by this institution and, and prove me wrong. And the response is silently, oh my, yeah, that's, that's not, that's not right. It is flawed. Oh, I didn't think about that. Burn it down, but let's recreate it as something that I think is, is proper. Mm, yeah. um, but instead of being reactive, we really should be, I think, a little more circumspect and pragmatic and realize, yeah, there, there are unfortunate situations. Let's pursue the past to fix those things. Um, if, if they truly are injustices, let's right. deal with them. Yeah. Like, the reason we have these institutions is because other people at some point earlier in history developed these things to achieve just ends for the right. society and sometimes selfish ends <laughs> yeah sure. I, mean, I, I do but if everyone yeah. everyone being selfish is i think a social good you know what i mean like if we're all working in the best interests of ourselves in a community we have yeah. an economy it, that is true i mean I, I, certainly there is an influence and i'm going to sound like a marxist but certainly historically there was outsized influence by a small powerful, wealthy elites. Um, I don't think it was entirely bad, but it certainly wasn't ideal. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I do think that the... So if you talk to me like 14 or 15 years ago, Which I was I actually did. borderline like burn it all down. So I have in here, I want to ask you about libertarianism. Okay. Uh, because... I did talk to you about this 15 years ago. Yes. And you were a little bit of a burn it down yeah, it kind was. of guy. Yeah, I was. Um, I like, still lean libertarian, but right. I think I have, I just have like more of a, an appreciation of what we have yeah. than I used to. I used to just see all the problems and the problems are still largely there. And I still see mostly the same problems. And actually some of the problems are way worse at this point, but I, I also see it in more of a balance. Like, wow. In the midst of all these problems, we have something truly remarkable, mm. and I, I think many of us are so fixated on the problems, including me at moments, that I'm willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, or I, I, I don't appreciate the unintended consequences. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not willing to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I'm trying to dump the bathtub off the edge of a cliff and I'm going to throw the baby out with the bath, mm -hmm. bathwater. And I'm saying I just want to throw out the bathwater, but mm -hmm. I'm like, nah. and, uh, so, so yeah, I, I think the, it's, I, it's probably more as I've learned more about world history, 
more about the world today. You mentioned a moment ago, you know, you just, you travel now and you realize, wow, we have, we have such relative stability and peace and prosperity and flourishing. I know people like to pretend the American dream is like a one in a billion thing, Mm -hmm. but it's actually pretty common. I know a lot of people who have moderate rag to riches stories. Like I know a lot of them Mm -hmm. and I think pretty much anybody in Mm -hmm. America knows a lot of people with those kinds of stories. And I don't literally mean, you know, living on the streets to a billionaire, although there are occasionally stories like that, but I mean, you know, grew up under the poverty line and now own two homes and vacation and you have access to things. You're doing well. And like, that's actually a really commonplace thing in America Mm -hmm. I'm interested in improving things, but also saying like, wow, there's something amazing and special about this place. And one of the, the, like part of the foundation of that is the stability and the rule of law. And I want to try as hard as possible. And I want to help people appreciate that and then work within that system rather than just like, for example, just the Dobbs thing. Mm -hmm. I realized that what happened wasn't necessarily illegal. Uh, It certainly was uh, an offense against the court and whoever leaked the draft opinion for mm-hmm. Dobbs would probably get disbarred if they were discovered. Um, now, if they lie about leaking it, that's, that's potentially yes. because it would be the marshal of the court asking them that would be perjury or obstructing an investigation or something like that. Um, but it was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it undermines the ability for the justices to comfortably share with one another and try to reach like the best decisions they can reach. Mm -hmm. You might feel like they don't often come to their best decisions, but they're trying. And the idea that they can have some privacy as they work through things. Imagine if every conversation you had with your wife was suspect to being leaked. It'd be hard to just have an honest, like, Hey, let's try to work through this. Cause Mm -hmm. instead you're like trying to speak to the world. And it's just, that totally undermines. Imagine every conversation you had with a friend was recorded. Oh, yeah. wait. <laughs> exactly. But like uh, 100%. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to work through something, something hard, hey, maybe some of it you'll say publicly. Yep. But some of it you're like, hey, can we just go to a room and like talk Actually, and yeah. I'm not going to be like held to you know the fire for every word I say. Maybe Alito, you know, a month later, that was written in February. Maybe by March he was like, wow, the way I wrote that was right. stupid. Like, what was I doing? Yeah, sometimes you write things for the exercise. Right. And, and so it just undermines that process and it's really going to undermine... Hopefully the justices are mature enough to not let it impact them too much, but it will. And the point is probably some clerk, although who knows, it could have been, could have been a clerk accidentally stayed logged into their email in an internet cafe. Sure. They don't have those anymore, but you get my gist. They Uh, found a time machine. (laughs) Yeah. To a library there. Uh, And so who knows how it was leaked, but if it was leaked on purpose, which I suspect it was because this kind of thing never happens basically. Mm -hmm. And it was this case probably on purpose that, that kind of thing is part of that. Just burn it all down without thinking about the consequences. Mm -hmm. And even if, because it's not totally out of the realm of possibility, it's probably less likely that if a conservative clerk leaked it, I guess there's an argument for that. Right. Also not advisable, right? Oh, yeah, they should be disbarred, yes. in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not acting with integrity, and lawyers who don't have integrity should be disbarred. So one more question I had for you uh, is, you know, you're talking about in, in, you know, essentially working, sort of 
the marketplace of ideas when it comes to what is what is what should laws encourage what's good for society individuals right what should we be valuing and there's yeah there's a struggle there even even if we had a room of six relatively like-minded people and we talked about 10 of these issues there'd be a tension right we have to figure it out and there'd be compromises yep um, which is what politics is at some level exactly it's the it's, art of compromise yes right who said that you somebody did. famous you did i'll give it oh, to you i did yeah exactly <laughs> so you know that that's the case and and that can happen when you have people who say no no i think this is good and someone else says no no here, here's what i think is good right and then in walks someone who says there is no such thing as good everyone has their own moral compass and we need to respect mm-hmm. that and whatever you say is good is good it's and like whatever super you say, postmodern <laughs> yeah so 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 my question is what effect does the proliferation of moral relativism have on a law in america that is a very easy question and i think you can knock it out of the park like, does that break it? Or is this, is this just another person in the room? No, it, it does begin to break it. And I, I believe it was, it was either Adams or Franklin. They both said things to this extent. I can't remember Adams. which one said this. Okay. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious, you ever heard religious that? people. It is like inadequate for the government of any other job. Yeah, and yeah. that really, there's, there's something to it. We, we have a Judeo-Christian... And the reason I've actually heard people in the past few years feel like that was like some sort of like weird anti-Christian phrase, Judeo-Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, what it means is is not explicitly like Jesus is the Christ, but just the general moral framework that we find in the scriptures, yeah. which is shared. It's it's the it's basically the Pharisaical. Well, I mean, Jefferson view. as an example, he wasn't he was. He wasn't a Christian. Correct. And he, he, but he you know, had that Judeo Christian, yeah, his, his morals Bible, of Jesus took, Bible, yeah. He took all the references to Jesus and divinity right. out of the Bible. Like, in my opinion, that's heretical, but it wasn't, it was useful he in still developing was, a society. Judeo Christian worldview. Yeah. yeah. And th- there is like this we need a, some sort of fundamental shared culture mm. to work from because. Yeah, the less and less we have in common and the more and more that people have like a postmodern sense of morality. I mean, just earlier today, I was reading an article about how polyamorous relationships, uh, how some people in polyamorous relationships choose to mark their covenant, their whatever, Mm -hmm. because they're not able to get legally married. So how do they do it? Sometimes two of them will get legally married and one will just have like another ceremony. Sometimes they actually... It's like the ultimate third wheel right there. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So I was reading this article. I don't even know how I came upon it. Life. But uh, you're reading things like this and you're just like, oh, there's such an undermining of healthy God's design. And fortunately in America... Polygamy is not legal in any states. Um, but at the same time, it's like, ugh. so I do have some thoughts. Yeah. I need to run to the bathroom. That's fine. Let's take a break. So, yeah, okay, we are back. So, continue on. That idea, though, that, yeah, as we move more and more into a society where we have, we are a multicultural society and not just multi, like, multicultural, but growing more and more post Christian yeah. and post modern. Right. And we have fewer and fewer of those shared Judeo-Christian Anglosphere values. Um, you know, even in law, as you go through law school, you, we we read 
British cases from the 20th century to inform property law in the United States today. Like literally cases in like the 1940s in England. Because we share this but thing. You said 20th century like it was a long time ago. And I'm like, wait a second. I mean miss, like 60 did, years did ago. Did he misspeak? No, he meant. No. Yeah. So we, like, <laughs> yes. we use fairly oh, current. I was born in that century. We look to yeah. fairly current British decisions to right. inform our law. Because we have this shared yes. background in our in our Anglo, yeah. uh, Anglo-American Anglo common law tradition. Is that considered the same as holding or no? A holding. Uh, it's like a judge saying, if this were different, here's how we, I would think about it. But then they give the yeah. right. So the holding is like the the conclusion or judgment of the court. Okay, sorry. What's um, not what's not holding the, the rule? No. If a judge basically gives a, a, a you know he says, well here here's the situation here here's the case. However, thought thought experiment. If oh. if this were the other it way, it might around, be called dicta. Dicta. Yeah. yeah have you heard that term? Yeah. So dicta is basically anything you can take from a judicial opinion. That isn't actually the holding or rule That's of that opinion, is, yeah. but it's like legal thought yes. that you could reference, right. but it's not sure the same. The, 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 the holding <clears throat> and the rule is considered actually modifying American law. Yes. The dicta is just like learned right. uh, learned commentary. Right. Helps you think. But, but my point is Sorry. we've we historically, and even now you see it to a degree, we have this shared Judeo-Christian culture. We yep. have this shared... British common law tradition, we have something, but more and more we're, we're multicultural, we're post-Christian, we're post-modern. Like, how do we land here? And this kind of brings me into a concluding conversation for us, and I'm curious to get some of your thoughts. Um, part of why I lean libertarian is, uh, for maybe some principled reasons, but mostly it's pragmatic, and, and two different schools of pragmatism. One school of pragmatism is, uh, you know, when I think even of uh, when I think of Christian authoritarianism, traditionally, mm-hmm. I think of, you know, things in Western and Northern Europe with the Reformation. So, you know, forget the Roman Catholic Church. I have such fundamental theological and, uh, you know, practical disagreements. I'm not going to even consider that. Yep. Uh, but say you take John Calvin, with whom I share a lot of theology and mm-hmm. practice and culture, you could say, John Calvin probably would have had me put to death. <laughs> um, and maybe he was even right to disagree with me, but I don't think he would have been right to have me put to death. Mm-hmm. And I suspect most authoritarians today would agree, but they might think, authoritarian Christians, but they might think that, hey, if infant baptism is what's biblical, then you not baptizing your kids is like wronging them and you could also be a bad influence on other Christians. So you mm-hmm. need to be like exiled or something, mm-hmm. or maybe that's a more palatable solution for the modern now, Christian authoritarian. To be fair to the historical record, that is actually a, a, one could argue is an American tradition. Now keep with me, stay with me here. Talking about Delaware, pre Rhode well, Island, pre revolutionary religious Liberty was kind of a grab bag yeah. in, in the and, colonies. And, and actually even, even post yeah, yeah, even post revolution, state, so some of the states had their own had a state church. Yep, exactly. The, the Virginia had the Anglican Church, I believe. Yeah. Maybe Massachusetts was like I don't know Presbyterian or I forget. But yeah, we didn't have what we think of. Actually, in some ways, we are we have the most freedom and respect for rights from a legal perspective ever in the United States today. It's been a really good past century for a lot of things like freedom of speech, freedom to practice religion, yep. uh, 
uh, rights for criminal defendants, even things like uh, the Second Amendment right. Mm-hmm. Um, Heller was decided in maybe 2008 or 2009, so about a decade ago, and that was incorporating the right to keep arms, mm-hmm. meaning that now that's not only a right that constrains the federal government, but mm-hmm. states can't prevent citizens from keeping weapons. And right now, probably the opinion will be released in the next two or three weeks, the that's court's going to right? rule on a New York case. The Supreme Court will rule on a New York case about the right to bear arms right. and whether With the government shall issue versus may issue. So yeah. right now, New York State is a may issue state. But I suspect the court will rule that it's unconstitutional and they, we need a shall issue. So we are like... We're rocking our constitutional liberties hardcore in a good way these days. But this gets me back to like my, my libertarian tendency. Yeah. And, and one is like that pragmatic, like, man, even if we were like a, a nation of all Christians, you know, fundamentally, my answer is always like, man, we need like a, an awakening, Holy Spirit to move, people to be born again, <laughs> lives turned upside down for Jesus. Right. That would solve a lot of our problems. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that would solve our multicultural issues. The gospel breaks down divides. It would solve our post-Christian, post-modern That doesn't come through legislation. Correct. Uh, That's not, just like not people changed. Yes. Um, but, but when it comes to legislation, just recognizing the current layout, even if we all were Christians— I'm kind of hesitant to take much of an authoritarian posture because, yeah, I don't want Christians killing each other because they disagree on water baptism mm-hmm. or killing each other because they disagree on uh, the nature of the Godhead or like the significance of the Lord's Supper, you transubstantiation, consubstantiation right. uh, or, or whatever, or mm-hmm. real, you know, real presence or uh, just merely symbolic. Like there are these disagreements like, hey, let's let's have them out. I think largely they shouldn't even separate Christians and local churches. I realize that some of the disagreements mean that fundamentally it'd be hard to like do life together. So occasionally you just might need to go to a different church. As a pastor, more than once, I've had people who are part of the church. We are charismatic and are pursuing the moving of the Holy Spirit and tongues and prophecy and healings. And some people come in who are really, 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 really uh, opposed to those notions. Mm -hmm. And certainly I try to win them. I try to sit down and do some Bible study. But pretty early on, I also say, hey, like if, if this is kind of a deal breaker, let me help you find another healthy right. church. You like I know the other churches that preach the gospel who aren't pursuing what I would consider the fullness of what God has for us, yeah. but it would be a good fit for you. And and so I try to help them. Like that, that works. What I'm not interested in is the New York State government deciding that you can, you can't, or you have to like speak in tongues or something ridiculous like that. That would be insane. And the thing is, that might sound silly, but that's literally what happened in Christian authoritarian context in the early Reformation. Um, So like for that pragmatic reason, I'm kind of, I I like, I lean libertarian. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of government. I think government's important. I think it's, it's a godly thing. Um, and it has a purpose, but I say it's limited. In First Timothy chapter 2, it talks about praying for those in authority that we might live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit of a pray for the government to mostly leave you alone type prayer. Mm-hmm. And even if everybody were Christian, I think I would lean libertarian. Yep. But we're in a context where everybody is most certainly not Christian. In fact, we're not only not all not, not Christian, <laughs> uh, or not only we're not all Christian, but we're, we are not even all sharing a Judeo-Christian worldview or even a modern worldview. There are postmoderns out there. And in light of that, how do we move forward in some semblance of order and some semblance of uh, continuing what we have? Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that 
there is still amongst most people in America common ground on say something like the value of life and not murdering people. I, I think most Americans, postmodern, post-Christian, various cultures, most people agree with like, let's regulate things like murder. In fact, if you look at the 14th Amendment, it talks about life, liberty, property, which is a Lockean phrase. Yes. And most people, aside from maybe like the ardent communist, are totally in support. So we're like, what, what if we had a government that mostly focused on protecting people's lives, liberties, and property? Mm-hmm. It seems like a nice set, like a, a pretty good fit. And in fact, not only is it something that I, I think is reasonable to try to rally people behind, even with like fundamentally different cultural backgrounds and different value systems, uh, but for a lot of good things, I actually don't see government as the most efficient solution. So, so a question. Yeah, yeah, you go. I have a question. Um, before nuclear weapons existed or even were considered by, by man, if you uh, sat down with, say, a, you know, a founding father of the United States and said, okay, so there's this, there's this box that you can, you can open up and you just push a button and your enemy will just be you know, uh, eviscerated, yeah, obliterated. Um, and your question is, what institution, if any, should be uh, the sort of the steward of this power? And I, I would think they'd say probably the government, whether whatever hierarchy, whatever level. You know, sure. this is not something that we want to just like leave out on the street or mass produce or have like on display somewhere. Like yeah. know, this should be there should be a, a you know it, this should be the responsibility of um, you know a governing power of, of authority of some of some type. Um, but before before you had that conversation that didn't the government they, they the government didn't have that power right but once that so the, the the thing existed that had the potential to destroy the world we decided the government should have enough power to wield that thing and control that thing because that's our best option it's not ideal but it's the m- least worst thing we right. have right yeah this is not a great as, as what, what's useful it. about government is that you could set it up in a way where hopefully it has a number of checks and balances exactly yeah you don't just you know i don't know why we call it a nuclear football football like <laughs> we should call it like a because it's like the vault or something i know it's yeah. just yeah america football <laughs> <laughs> the, the nuclear six-pack so um let's take that forward yeah and let's say there's another concept or another idea or a tool or a weapon that has the potential to actually uh, dissolve Dismantle an society. Yeah. A society. Um, but it's not a red button and a physical bomb. It's actually an idea. Mm, I, I'm tracking it. Yeah. Um, and, and we don't even need to articulate what the idea is. You could argue what the idea is, right? But let's say there is. There's, an, there's a thing that if it's integrated into our, our society, it, it's, not, it's not manageable. It's like if you've got... Now an analogy within an analogy. If, if I had like eight cups in front of you and they all have different kinds of soda in them, but one of them has poison and I tell you which one it is, the solution is not to drink all of them and see which one you prefer. It's to remove the poison and then compare. Right. See which one you like the best. Um, it would literally be suicide to drink the poison and die. <laughs> true that. True that. <laughs> so where does the libertarian, how does the libertarian respond to this, the scenario where you have an idea, as I think Chesterton would say, the thought that stops all thought. The, the, the only thought that must be stopped is the thought that stops thought. 
think is one of his quotes. I don't know that quotation. I think it's Chesterton. Okay. Uh, And it's basically, we should be intolerant of things that will, um, that don't tolerate anything. Uh, I'm not articulating further. But But I would say culturally intolerant. Culturally, exactly. Right. So how, how do you square libertarianism? With a situation where you have, and now this is all arguable, like you could say, no, you're wrong. That idea doesn't, won't dismantle society. But what if it, what if it could and what if it does? Right. Is that a situation where we need to, we need to actually use government power to limit, to, dam- to, do, to, to perform damage control? Right. Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, uh, DeSantis in Florida. I mean, he, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say I agree with all of his political moves, but it, it seems like he responds to every situation with like, a law saying, yes, you were going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to do that. We're not going to, not in Florida. Yes. In Florida. Right. Um, I think he's capitalizing on the, but moment, you have the, but yeah. what is it? The uh, parental rights. Uh, what's the actual name? Is this the, the quote? Don't say gay bill. Yeah. Or are you yeah, talking yeah, about something yeah, different? Yeah, it is. Okay. But I'm just trying to, I can't remember the actual name. Of the it name is. of the law is parental rights and education. Right. Okay. Um, so that the argument there is there is, there are ideas um, being taught in schools that are going to permanently damage our children and our progeny, and therefore the society, we need to stop those in their tracks. Right. Use the weight and the force of, of law. So what's your, what are your thoughts on, yeah. on that kind of a situation? So, like, my thought is this. I lean libertarian enough that I look at a situation like that, and I'm like, oh, I know what the solution is. Don't have public schools. <laughs> like, allow parents yeah. to control the education of their children. Um, well, even so, if, so then that le- I mean... The, the, there are very few things that would that would cause me to uh, just pack up and leave New York State. Yeah, and one of those, I think, it's an extremely short list. Maybe is one, if homeschooling were barred. If homeschooling were made illegal, uh, yeah, I would just leave. Like, yeah. there's, there's not even a, a there'd yeah. be no time of, of deliberation. Bar- barring like like God speaking really clearly. Yeah, sure. There, yeah, it's a no brainer. Yep, yep. Yeah. I, I agree. And but but on the on the flip side, by the way, Hogel, if you're listening. <laughs> you want to get me out of New York? <laughs> if you want Ben gone, ban homeschooling. Uh, fortunately, I think a ban like that would not stand up to constitutional scrutiny. Boom, boom, winning. But you never know. The, yes. Whatever. Uh, but flip side, this is very brief. Republicans nationwide, if you're listening, school choice is the winning issue in this moment. I hope Republicans jump all over it because I've been interested forever yep. and... Yep. Republicans have not really gotten behind it clearly. But yeah, school choice. I want to see charter schools. I want to see more than even charter schools. I want to see funds follow kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be okay if states got entirely out of education. We're in Canton right now. We are in Canton. What is the the new budget just came out for the school? Oh, it's huge. Per student? I don't even know what it is. $19,000? I think it's I think, I think it's that per year. Yeah, I think the average in New York is something like twenty k ish um, per child. So yeah, like some I would be okay if states just got out of education entirely. Mm-hmm. But I also appreciate so there's an interest. It's called reliance interest, and that's actually something the Supreme Court considers when they're thinking about overturning a prior case. So yeah. stare decisis, let the thing stand. Um, it's powerful, and and the idea is you want stability right. within our it's, jurisprudence. It's, it's it's law Jenga. Yes, um, but one of the things they consider with when they're overturning precedent is is this precedent like really wrong? Yeah. Um, they're also going to consider how many people this mess up. Right. 
Like if it's a tiny bit wrong, it's a tiny bit. If it's a tiny bit wrong, it's going to mess up a lot of people. They won't overturn it. Uh, For example, the the Obergefell decision. Which I've heard that pronounced in many different ways recently. Obergefell, I believe, is correct. Obergefell. I, I do not know the answer, but I've always said a Bergefell, and I just assume I'm correct. <laughs> Actually, I probably say it incorrectly. But I heard two highly educated law professors say a Bergefell recently. A Bergefell. Did anyone say a Bergefell? Not in the interview. Fail. No. Maybe I don't I've heard it, it both ways. Uh, so, in that decision, one of the results was the legalization of same-sex marriage in all 50 states. Well, in all the United States. I should include territories. Um, the redefinition of marriage to include marriage between yes. two persons of the same sex yes which is starting to become meaningless itself but whatever <laughs> life implodes but uh at this point a future case might overturn principles in the ruling of Obergefell, but it's unlikely i mean like i would bet like who pretty much now. all my money that the court is never going to overturn the judgment of mm-hmm. Obergefell, mm-hmm. and the reason why is because people have now built their lives around marriages, uh, legal marriages at least, mm-hmm. between men and men and women and women. Mm-hmm. And so there's this reliance issue. Even if the court was full of nine justices who all think Obergefell was decided wrongly, again, they might gut Obergefell, but it's almost certain they would never overturn the judgment or the holding because there's this reliance interest. Mm. Similarly with education. I would prefer states to not be involved in education. I think it would have evolved differently and way better if states had never gotten involved. That's at this point, they're involved. And how many people's lives would be totally upended if the state shut down public schools and all funding? Yeah. Like, I mean, people would have be quitting jobs and kids would be uneducated, run the street, crime would go. It would just be, life would implode. So... My solution is not to get states out of education at this point. Mm-hmm. It's to get them out of educating. Mm-hmm. Just hand the money to parents or or maybe hand them a voucher that they can hand to a school and then you hand the money to that school. Okay. And just incentivize people to start up schools, compete for opportunities to educate children, and it gives parents the ultimate say over the education. It accomplishes everything that Florida Bill desires and 10x more. Mm. Um Whereas the Florida bill itself, uh, I'm not opposed to the basic notion. It's sloppy. One of the hard things about bills like that is it includes phrases like age appropriate. What the, does that mean? Right. Like, uh, that's just like the most unhelpful the statute record, ever. Jamie self-censored. We didn't bleep anything. It was <laughs> actually a, a real silence there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So like, it, that's just like, yeah. it's not a well-written statute. Uh, mm-hmm. Courts do try to enforce statutes very rigidly. But there's, there's a lot of flex in like common law, but, but statutory law is legis- rigid. A lot of that legislation just begs more questions. Oh, it's 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 legislation to make political points, not to actually help anybody in the real world, which is, in my mind, a travesty. Mm. But the basic notion that there is a lot of problematic stuff being taught in schools, yeah. Um, and so I'm a big fan of having the money follow the children. A lot of people, their response to homeschooling is it like is way too expensive. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you had three or four kids and you got 10 grand a kid to right. homeschool them? Yep. Ding, ding. All of a sudden you get 30 or 40,000 a year to help cover costs. Down you know, one of the parents can 
Well, or, or one of the parents can quit their job and... Right. Um, I mean, you could develop an equivalent of like an um, uh, HSA, a health savings account. You could, you could just... I mean, it wouldn't take much to set that up. Yep. And, and you have a simple audit process and... Yeah, you, yeah, you'd want some sort of like minor uh, structure, you know, check in. Yeah. But I think something like what New York has, where there's, you would maybe get rid of the schools but keep your superintendent, and the superintendent would just collect where kids are going to school or if they're homeschooling, mm-hmm. and then get reports from schools from parents a few times a year, just yeah. noting, hey, we're doing stuff. Now, you also, I mean, in the same conversation, though, you mentioned the, the devastation that would come if you just turned schools off, public schools off, which you can't do. And funding. And funding. But the reality is we're also dealing with, situ- with, with such broken families as a baseline. And it, like, it is. It's like the, the assumption is, the assumption, you know, if, if a, a fifth grader walks up to you right today, like it's safer to assume that they're coming from a some sort of a, broken a, home. A broken home yeah. where you know parents aren't together, um, and and there's there's that kind of dynamic, yeah. um, and it's it's there is no switch to flip, right? There is no, um, and you, you, and that's why I said there's the reliance issue. Yeah. The states would need to continue funding, mm-hmm. but I just what I think they could do basically on a dime is shut down public schools and incentivize literally thousands and thousands of private schools springing up overnight. They would hire largely public school teachers, Mm -hmm. but they would be lots of small schools with vision and approaches. And within a few years, it would settle out. But like right now in New York City, like look up articles about charter schools. Charter schools are finding great success. Parents are literally like entering massive waiting lists or lotteries to try to get their kids into these charter schools mm-hmm. like just dissolve the current system um again the, i think the funding would need to stay there because the reliance issue I, I totally i'm a human i understand mm-hmm. like stability well, you, order. You have a, a, a two decade step down process or something you know you have to right i'm not even opposed to like let let's just say you have it mm-hmm. if so right now in new york state it's something like 20k per student for education what if we halved it and handed every parent a 10K voucher per school-aged child? Yeah. Ta-da. And then overnight, things like charter schools would spring up all over the place. And I think pretty quickly, you would end up with way better education and parents being way more involved. And ultimately, you'd also accomplish what they're hoping to do in Florida. Parents would have be controlling. Like They're like, I don't want to go to that school. That school is teaching ABC. I want to go to this school. They're teaching XYZ. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, both a- of those are good. <laughs> They're teaching the letters. One's alphabet, one's yeah. algebra. Uh, yeah, exactly. So the, but like the reason I lean libertarian it, again yeah. is I, I do feel like there is, even if, and I, I wish it were the case that we were in a country where everyone was born again and we shared a common kingdom culture and mm. vision, I think that would solve a ton of problems, period, that government can't even solve. But even in that scenario, I'm not interested in, Strong government authoritarianism, it causes problems. So with my hypothetical, yeah. uh, with, the, with the drinks in front of you and one has poison, um, you reject the premise. You say the government should be less capable. You're, you're right. You're saying right. well. We in, should... in that case, like, say, I, I do think that there are definitely ideas that are toxic, mm-hmm. but I don't. I'm unaware of any governmental approach to toxic ideas that's like successful and helpful. I think they have to be rooted out at a cultural level. Um, 
And in fact, when government tries to root it out, it just breeds like uh, it's some sort of weird combination of the what what's the uh, what's the famous actress who had like photos, satellite photos of her home or something. Uh, the it's some like singer. It's a singer. Somebody took photos of her house and posted it online, and she sued them. And it was and it in it the lawsuit more, that made it way more like everybody the started looking at these photos. Like, <laughs> uh, no one would have cared. If, I can't remember uh, who it was, but anywho, yeah. like there's that effect. There's yes. like an effect named after her now. Like it's a weird combo of that, mm-hmm. right? Exactly amplifying the issue by actually trying to shut it down. When you like censor books and things like that, sure. it actually just draws more attention to things. So there's this weird combo of amplifying. And appealing to something sinful in us, but very common to man, this rebellious thing where you almost incentivize like 10 or 20% of the population to be like, oh, you say, I can't look at that. Not only now am I curious, but now I'm going to look at it to like stick it to you. And uh, so it, it seems to me that government does not possess the tools to, in a healthy way, shepherd people towards good ideas. Mm. That's something we have to do by persuasion. Um we need to work through, wrestle through ideas with people. I mean, people even go through seasons of life, right? Like 19-year-olds are, I don't know what the number is, but they're going to be like 10 times more likely to have a revolutionary mindset mm-hmm. than 49-year-olds. And Jamie at 19 fits that compared to Jamie at... Yes. And again, I actually still share a lot of the same values, but I, I just have an appreciation for methodology that's slightly different. Yeah. Um, and that is partly season of life and and people wrestling with ideas. And mm-hmm. I don't think government can just, like, force us all to be 49 coming out of the birth canal. You yep. know what I mean? Like, you're going to grow and process I mean, and wrestle who, with who ideas. Said, who said it? If, 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 uh, if, if a man is uh, a, a conservative in his 20s, he has no heart. And if he's a liberal in his 60s, he has no mind. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. Something obviously, like these that. are simplistic, but they make a point. And, yeah. and you get it. You get the gist. Uh, I don't think so say like with the, the toxic idea yeah. there are some really bad ideas but what's what's remarkable about uh, a liberal and a classical sense society is you can entertain conversations about illiberal notions mm-hmm. freely yeah. you can freely talk about the how successful censorship might be mm-hmm. and what we should like you can talk about things like that whereas in highly censorious societies mm-hmm. authoritarian societies like they try to stamp that stuff out yes. and it doesn't end up really succeeding it just crushes the society it leads to perpetual revolutions uh yeah i mean going back to uh to top you know college i i, I graduated from college seven eight years ago undergrad uh i i mean i always I always felt like I could, if I could bring up an opinion, even if I didn't hold the opinion, I could at least say, I could at least act like I did for the yeah. sake of a conversation. Yep. I mean, we had a class called uh, uh, called American Law, uh, a law in the American family, and taught by a JD. Uh, okay. It was an it was a it was a freshman second semester course, um, and we spent we I mean it was you know, pre Obergefell. Um, I mean we we. You, our assignments were to take two both sides of 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 the of the argument on you know on, on same sex marriage. Um, we we actually were our, we were assigned to write papers for and against it, and you know learn the arguments. And um, it was a very active class. I mean, very very active debates, and you you could literally say anything, and it would be it would be judged on the merits of the argument. That's right? awesome. 
Um, and that was my whole time at St. Lawrence was every class. I mean, from political philosophy to government to this class to whatever. Yeah. I mean, it never felt like there was any sort of censoring or oppression of thought. Um, however, talking with people in school today, uh, that is the exception. I haven't, I haven't been on St. Lawrence campus. I can't yeah. speak to today. But in general. I, um, I will say, I, I do. So you're familiar with the Codling of the American Mind, mm-hmm. American Mind thesis, the book, the thesis of that book. I think it's by Height and uh, Lu, Luvinoff or yes. Lukanoff or something like that. I forget his name. And, and it's a really interesting book. And, and certainly, I think part of what they identified leads to the lack of intellectual freedom that we see today, but also leads to a heightened sensitivity. Like, because I talk to students that I think they perceive a lot. They they, they perceived something that I think students 20 years ago also perceived. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm the outlier, Mm -hmm. whatever. I just didn't let it affect me. I was like, who cares? Like, I I literally would get up in debates with the professor in class. There was one class where I do think the prof graded me harshly because of my views. It's really frustrating. Um, but in every other class, I, I had classes with like openly Marxist professors mm-hmm. and we had super fun. I got four O's. We would like throw ideas back and forth. Uh, they would like call on me to like defend the biblical mm-hmm. like approach to things. Mm-hmm. And it was super fun. I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. And I realized everybody thought I was weird or crazy or like right. b- backwards. You into it. Yeah, but I knew I knew plenty of Christians who were like, "I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm not going to talk about like, conservative ideas." Uh, then, and I think now, because because I do talk to some students who just like they perceive this accurately. Mm-hmm. I'm an outsider. I'm different. But they there is I do think there is some legitimate shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's also it, it's a class of people that are like almost leaning into like the oh, I'm the victim, and and I yeah. think Christians at times do that. Oh, we no, can absolutely. see ourselves just like as victims. I'm like we are a little bit, but like whatever, yep. move forward. Um, now I this will have to be a part two because I want to talk about the I want to talk about like biblical bases. Both in principle or in practice. And by practice, I mean like biblically informed pragmatics. For example, I'm not a fan of killing people just because we have like a slight theological difference. And I think that's biblical, yes. but it's a pragmatic thing. Um, or in the pragmatics of finding a coalition that amongst postmoderns and multicultural persons and post-Christian people, a coalition that can still value life, liberty, property mm-hmm. and kind of unite around those things. Right. I think those are... Interesting, but I'm curious to explore biblical underpinnings for that versus maybe not like a John Calvin authoritarianism, but more of like a, you know, um, Christianized MAGA, like a, something like a DeSantis. Because I'm actually encountering that IRL, like Christians who are thinking, no, we should actually have laws like like the government should be encouraging things like... Uh, you know, values that are, that are Mm -hmm. helpful values that are important things like the government should be making statements on critical theory and the government should be incentivizing childbirth and like good. Or basically saying if, if it, if it is morally wrong, then it should be made legal, illegal. Or at least the government should speak to it. It should speak to it. Right. You should take a position on that. And I've tended largely for pragmatic reasons 
to say, actually, maybe we can narrow the domain the government speaks well, to. But I'm example, curious to explore that. Marriage, more. right? The government's treatment of, of marriage as an institution. Right. One solution is to get the government out of marriage. Right. That's like, well, let's just simplify the whole ordeal and not and not uh, put a governmental stamp on that. But on in that Romans union. 13, it talks about the government being a minister of God yeah. for good. And, sure. and I do think that a Christian can rightly make a case. And I don't think it's like a wrong position per se uh-huh. to say, no, the government should be incentivizing good moral behavior. And I don't think that's like a bad position, but I do feel like it runs into trouble. And I'm, I want a part two sure. where we maybe like go through more biblical texts mm-hmm. and work through those ideas. Cause that's certainly cons- American conservatism 20, 25 years ago was fairly liberal in a classical sense. Mm-hmm. It is becoming markedly more authoritarian in the past five years and uh, including amongst a lot of Christians. And I don't think that's necessarily an inherently horrible thing, but I currently strongly disagree. But I'm curious and like working through it. I actually need to like figure out what I think. Yeah, I, yeah. Let's do. I yes. Let's do a part two on that. I think that that's a that would be a really rich conversation and super super relevant because there's there's an allure I think to, uh, I mean, one of the initial things I wanted to even talk about. We 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 didn't even jump into it. Um, uh, is is the you know how do you debate how do you have a debate where there's such difference of thought that you can't mm-hmm. even like get into the same room with somebody right how do right you, if you don't have the same axioms yeah exactly yeah. Um, and and that's a great this is an example of um, situations where you 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 if someone's convinced they can't win the debate uh, if someone's convinced they can't win the fight they're more likely to rig the game mm. or or can, are you allowed to say rig. Will we will we be uh, scratched from the <laughs> no no but I mean just that idea of like if you if someone tells you 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 can't win this argument there's no way you can win this argument if you believe that you you're gonna look for other ways to do it you're gonna look for you're gonna try to like politically outmaneuver someone or you're gonna look for whether they're shortcuts or whether they're you're gonna find a different way to achieve that goal um, but I still think like the American experiment is based on debate. And a free marketplace of ideas and friction, like it's designed for friction and iron sharpening iron. That idea, um, and I think there's been a a lie that's being a seed that's been planted in sort of the conservative world of you 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 won't be able to win the argument, mm-hmm. so take other actions. That is certainly the case with. Are you familiar with the phrase replacement theory? Oh yeah, sure. Okay, so. Not theology. <laughs> Replacement theology has to do with like who the people of God are sure. through the ages and Jew-Gentile questions. Replacement theory, for those who are unfamiliar, is the notion that non-Anglo-Americans, non-white people are purposely being brought into the United States to like take over the United States. I, th- right. I think to to racially dilute. Right. I, I think the yes. I think the the moderate and maybe like the the Tucker Carlson notion has little to do with race and is mostly just progressives are trying to bring in people so who are likely to vote Democrat yeah. uh, to, to to wield more power, which I, isn't which isn't by definition capital R capital T replacement theory. It's correct, it, but it, it's a, a sense of like people are being brought in to just like outnumber conservative like traditional conservative americans right. whereas I, I like the more the more extreme and racialized view is is held by people like the mass shooter from this yeah. past weekend in buffalo or it was the chant in 
was it Charlotte, North Carolina in 2015, 2016, when they're like, uh, Jews will not replace us or something yeah. like that. Some right. sort of like anti-Semitic. Yep. But this notion that literally the white race is being diluted, which people don't help. Like, I'm like, who cares if whites become a minority by 2050? Like, that's just not even interesting to me. I'm not, uh, I don't think in terms of race or skin right. color, I'm like, whatever. I mean, eventually, should the Lord tarry, we'll probably all devolve to some sort of tannish phenotype. Like, that's just where we're headed over time. Um, but the the point is that that notion to get what we were just saying, yeah. even the Tucker Carlson version, which is not like race centered, it's what it is centered on is our ideas. We can't persuade people of them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, immigrants largely are like hardworking, family valuing, right? Like responsible people. Now, are are there immigrants who come in who are just Lazy bums or criminals. Yeah, I'm sure there are some. But disproportionately, immigrants are actually hardworking, family-valuing, like, ready to contribute. They want to be here. They, mm-hmm. they believe in what America has represented right. through the past couple hundred years, not some sort of Marxist vision of the future. I'm like, actually, I see immigrants as all, like, potential libertarian-leaning conservatives. Not all. Mostly. Mm-hmm. Potential. Like, because I'm like, hey, we actually share a lot of values. I'm a big – I think we should increase legal immigration. And th- there is this thing within a lot of conservatives that's nervous about immigration partly because they see it, these are all people who are going to vote the other way. I'm like, why would they vote the other way? They want right. to be in America to like start businesses right. and like make money and make something of their lives, support their families. These are people I have a lot in common with. But it gets that idea thing. And if you're convinced that nobody's going to – get your ideas you're just going to try to wield the power you have now to like rig the system Mm -hmm. don't like it anyhow we need a part two we do because i have a bunch more thoughts so my my goal with this conversation yes was to uh help ourselves and hopefully our the listeners of your podcast which of which i am a member yes uh to think a little more circumspectly about our own instinct of Mm. justice and the laws and just you know think about What's behind it as opposed to just where we bash into it in our daily lives? If we get a speeding ticket, suddenly we're like, why do we even have speeding t- laws about speed? You can like, let, let, let's think deep, more deeply than yeah. that. Um, and uh, and use that that circumspection to to advocate for what we think is 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 right and just and uh, and have those conversations. So I think I think we achieved that. I, I feel like we it was a great conversation. I had fun. Well, thank you, James. Thanks for thank coming for on, having ben. me on your on your podcast. This is cool. We'll do it again. Okay. Okay, peace.